Have you ever been on an epic road trip? Uh, years ago, my wife, when we were dating, and I uh, went on a road trip with a friend of ours to Southern California just for some fun. And I remember the drive home vividly. Uh, my friend was driving and I was riding shotgun and as we're leaving LA, we're going through the grapevine and I was tired, felt like if I could just get a nap before it was my turn to drive, that would be great. So I remember checking in with my friend to make sure that he was good to go, he understood the directions. And it's pretty simple really, if you're coming home from California to Oregon, you stay on I-5 and it's a straight shot through the, through the desert. So my friend said he was good, and so I closed my eyes, and a couple hours later, I wake up, and I have no idea where we are. We're supposed to be in the middle of the desert on the freeway, and instead, we're on a highway, and we're cruising through farming town after farming town after farming town. And uh, if you are anticipating where the story goes, you probably guessed it right. Coming out of the grapevine, my friend took a wrong turn, and we ended up on some road that I have no idea where we were. Uh, we learned an important lesson about the value of road signs on that trip. You see, road signs are really important. They communicate something to help us when we're on a drive. They tell us when to uh, slow down, when we can speed up, when curves are ahead, or what to watch out for. And as I was thinking about the importance of road signs, I, I came across a few signs that I wanted to share with you uh, this morning. And the first one is this. It's, it's a warning sign that cows might be falling from the cliff above. And my question when I see this one is, uh, how many times did this have to happen before they decided to make a sign? Or how about this one? which is an important safety tip. If ever you're driving around a prison, right, uh, be sure not to pick up hitchhikers. Or my personal favorite is this one right here. I have no idea what this sign is trying to communicate. All I know is if I see this sign, I think what it's saying is don't get out of your car and by all means do not feed the deer because the deer around here are crazy. But when I think about our, our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus, you might resonate with a sign that looks like this. You see, what this sign is, is it's a fork in the road. And when I see this sign, it reminds me that God's way of life is different than the world's way of life. And this is especially evident when it comes to the topic we're gonna talk about today on generosity. Because the world says that the more we can get, the better our life will be. But what God says is that generosity leads to a blessed life. Now, I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church. If you are just joining us, I wanna say a special welcome to you. I'm so glad that you're here. We are in the midst of a series called Kingdom Culture. My name is Jeff, I'm one of the pastors uh, here on staff, and this is a phenomenal series as we dive into uh, what it was like in the early church and how they experienced Jesus together. And then we're drawing some important lessons from that about how we live out our faith today. And we've based this series on a passage in Acts 2. In fact, uh, we're gonna read it together, and so if you wanna find that in your Bible, we're gonna begin in verse 42. Acts 2, 42 says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
A deep sense of awe came over them, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now over the course of the series, we started by looking at the apostles' teaching. And then we talked about prayer. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the topic of fellowship and what it means for us to truly love one another. And last week, Pastor Bob shared about the concept of miracles and wonders. But today, we're discovering together how living generously leads to a blessed life. Now, the church was meant to be more than just a gathering that happens once a week. Even today, in the midst of a pandemic, the church was meant to be a family. In fact, God's desire for the church is that it would be a spiritual family. And families operate in a different way, right? You see this played out in Acts 2, in this passage. Families share with each other. They sacrifice for each other, and they take care of each other. In fact, theologian N.T. Wright has this to say specifically about how this community we find in Acts 2 lived out generosity together. He said this, they had a word for this ordering of their life, a word which we have often taken to refer to feelings inside, but which for them was primarily about what you do with your possessions when you're part of this big extended family. And the word is love, or agape in Greek. And what I want you to hear is that living generously is a deep expression of love towards one another. Abundant Life Church, can I just affirm you that over the past 30 plus years as a church family, you have lived this out well. You have been incredibly generous and your generosity has blessed lives around you. You have showed up to improve elementary schools in our communities. You have provided gifts and meals and clothing and whatever is needed to support families in need around the holidays. You have responded with great generosity in times of disaster like wildfires when they hit our community. And you have invested well in our local outreach partners as they serve our neighbors around us. You have lived a generous life together. But we recognize also that living generously is a very unique way to live. And it looks very different than the world in which we live in. You see, the world is built on two big isms, consumerism and materialism. And consumerism is the preoccupation of society with the acquisition of goods. In other words, it's this uh, need to always get more and more and more. And materialism is the tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. In other words, it's saying that uh, my stuff or my comfort is more important than my relationship with God. And these two big isms, they drive our economy and they drive our culture, but they lead us to believe two big lies. And the first lie is this, the idea that getting more is somehow going to make me happier. And the second lie is that having bigger, better, or newer things will somehow elevate my status 
amongst my family or my friends or in my community. And you see, these lies, they promise a blessing in your life, but they're an empty promise that is never fulfilled. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And this is the path, this is the road that materialism and consumerism lead us down. And so what I want you to know is that God wants something different for your life. You see, God wants you to experience a blessed life, not a life that's just full of of things and wealth or riches, but he wants you to experience a full and meaningful life. He wants you to experience a deep joy and satisfaction in life that the world cannot offer. And you need to know that God is a generous God and he wants you to be generous because he is generous and he knows that living generously leads to a blessed life. So then how do we live this generous life? How do we live generously? Well, in our time together, I want us to look at a passage in 1 Timothy 6. And if you wanna go ahead and turn there, we're gonna look at that in just a minute. But in this passage in 1 Timothy, Paul is, in this book, is writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's giving him all kinds of guidance and wisdom for how to lead the church. And in chapter six, especially, Paul gives some very practical insight about how we can live generously. And I believe there are four significant lessons that we can learn to help us live this generous life. And the first lesson is this, is that living generously requires me to live differently. We have to live differently than the world around us. And how do we do that? It's the word contentment. See, Paul begins this section in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, and he says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Contentment is the state of being satisfied with what you have. What Paul is telling us here is that life is not about the desire to acquire more because you can't take it with us beyond this life. And so what contentment is, is it's learning to be thankful to God for his provision and then learning to be satisfied with what we have. And it involves this idea of letting go of the need for more. As the outreach pastor here at Abundant Life, I've had the opportunity to uh, travel to many places around the world when we're not in lockdown from a pandemic. And when we're free to travel again, if you were to travel with me to our outreach partners in Kenya, uh, you would find monkeys running around, kind of like how we find squirrels uh, around us uh, here. And if you wanted to catch a monkey, there's a very specific way to go about that. And rather than explain it to you, I wanted to show it to you. So I want you to take a look at this video with me. If you want to kill a monkey, because you want to eat a monkey, then you don't have to be concerned about preserving the monkey. But those of you who want a monkey for zoos and stuff like that, and wants a monkey unharmed, they have got a way of doing it. See, they take a coconut, they drill a hole into a coconut, and put some nuts inside. 
the kind of nut the monk is like. So the monkey comes and puts his hand into the coconut where he fits and grabs some nuts. Now we have a problem here. Because the coconut is drilled in such a way that a monkey's hand can go through, but his fist can't. Now, he would be thinking, okay, a monkey lets go of the nut, a monkey goes free. But guess what they found? A monkey will never let go of a nut. And even if a trapper is coming and the monkey is crazy trying to get away, the monkey will never drop the nut. Oh, poor monkey. You see, the monkey gets caught because it won't let go of the need for more. So the question is, what is it in your life that you're holding on so tightly to that you just need to let go? Contentment is learning to let go so that we can trust God. Contentment also provides margin or space in our lives so that we can be generous. Pastor and author Rick Warren says, if you don't know how to be happy with what you have, you will never be happy with more. Now, if you and I were to go out to coffee and we were just to sit down and have a conversation and and I were just to be very honest with you, I would share with you that contentment is actually a struggle uh, for me. In fact, one of the biggest challenges in, in our marriage is conversations around this very topic because it's so easy for me to fall into the trap of, of wanting or desiring more. But Aaron and I also hold to a shared value together that we want to be generous. We want to be free to help others and we want to support our church well and we want to be able to respond whenever God gives us an opportunity. So one practical step that has, or practical tool that has really helped me develop contentment in my life is simply by having a monthly budget. And many of you maybe do that. Uh, We tend to budget a little bit uniquely and so don't judge us. We know there are more sophisticated and technological ways to do it. Uh, But ever since we've been married, Aaron handwrites our budget on notebook paper with a pencil from scratch every month. And once she's done with the budget, uh, we have a meeting and I have to make one change uh, to the budget. And what this does is it allows us to, uh, to look at the budget with a realistic view and, and understand what we can and what we can't do. But it also allows us to decide what is important to us. And we also are intentional about budgeting less than we earn so that we have space to practice generosity. But one of the things that I've noticed about having a budget what it's done in my life is it's taught me how to be thankful to God for his provision and to see all of the different ways that God has provided for us. And my question is, uh, just as a, a practical step, what if we looked at budgeting a little differently? What if we looked at budgeting instead of being something that is restrictive, What if we looked at budgeting as an opportunity for us to express gratitude to God? That as we went through each part of a budget, we began to see how God has provided for us and thank him for it. For instance, thank you God for for housing or thank him for food or thank him for utilities in our life. 
And we thank God for his provision instead of longing for more. Hebrews 13.5 says, don't love money, but be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. And I love that promise in that verse, that God will not fail you nor abandon you as you trust him in this area of your life. The second lesson that we learn is that living generously requires me to trust differently. Paul continues in 1 Timothy 6, he picks up in verse nine, he says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So what is he saying here? Is money bad? No, money is not bad, right? Money is neither good nor bad, it's neutral. What money is, is it's a tool. And God's desire is that we would use that tool well. So what is the problem? The problem is when money becomes more than a tool. The problem is the love of money. It becomes a matter of where we're placing our trust. And you see all throughout the Bible, God is calling us, calling his people into a trusting relationship with him. And what God is saying is don't put your trust in your stuff. Don't put your trust in your bank account. Put your trust in me. And the more we trust in our wealth, the less we trust in God. And the less we trust God, the more selfish we become. By the way, have you ever wondered uh, how much money it would take to be rich? Uh, some people at, at Harvard decided to run a study to discover what the answer would be to this. And so they uh, put uh, some different groups together in different income earning groups, and they asked one simple question, how much would it take to be rich? And their findings were interesting. Those who made $30,000 a year said if they just made $60,000, they would be rich. Those who made $50,000 said if if they just made $100,000 a year, then that's what it would take for them to be rich. Then of course, if you're following along, those who made $100,000 a year said if we made $200,000, we would be rich. And then something happens when you hit the million dollar club. But those that made $1 million said it would take $5 million for them to be rich. So what is the answer to the question? How much money does it take to be rich? The answer is more. Because money never fully satisfies. It doesn't lead to a blessed life. Only living generously leads to a blessed life. Paul continues in verse 17. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And what Paul is saying is, right, don't trust in money because it's unreliable. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It can disappear in a moment's notice. So where should we put our trust? You might underline that phrase, their trust should be in God. Right, because God is the provider. God is the one who provides for our needs. That's who God is. And check out what Paul says. He says, God provides for our needs for what? For our enjoyment. Because our God is a good God. 
and he cares about your life and he wants to bless you. He doesn't want you to have a miserable life. God wants to provide for your needs for your enjoyment. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, trust in your money and down you go, but trust in God and flourish as a tree. So the question is, where are you putting your trust? Are you trusting in the one who wants to bless your life and cause you to flourish like a tree? The third lesson that we learn is that living generously requires me to respond differently, right? So living generously begins with living differently so that we have margin or space to be a blessing to others. But living generously then calls me to trust differently so we're free to be a blessing to others. But now we have to learn to respond differently so we can act as a blessing to others. Paul continues in verse 18, he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. And I love what Paul does here. He makes it really simple and really clear and really practical. How should we live? Paul says that God wants you to use what you have to do good and be generous. Let me say that again. God wants you to use what you have to do good and be generous. Church, imagine if we lived this out. If every day we woke up and we said, God, what do you want me to do today to do good and be generous to others? And I think we would see our lives transformed and those around us transformed as well. Because living generously leads to a blessed life, not only for you, but for others as well. And this is kingdom culture. This is what it looks like for us to live for the kingdom of heaven and not for the kingdom of earth. You see, God did not design for us to just consume and just to take in. He designed us to pour our life out for others. I wanna show you this picture on the screen. This is a picture of the Dead Sea. Uh, this, the Dead Sea runs between the border of Israel and Jordan, and it sits at 1,000 feet below sea level, which is considered the lowest elevation on earth. And about this time last year, I had the opportunity to drive along the Dead Sea as we were visiting a potential outreach partner in Jordan. And it's a beautiful sea, but what makes the Dead Sea so interesting is its saltiness. You see, the Dead Sea is almost 10 times more salty than the ocean. It's so salty that you can literally float in it. And it's so salty that nothing can live within it. So my question is, why is it so salty? And what's fascinating to me is that what feeds the Dead Sea is the Jordan River, which is fresh water. So the sea is being filled with fresh water, but somehow it becomes so salty that nothing can survive. And the reason for that is it has no outlet. There's no outflow out of the sea. And so what happens is fresh water comes in and then it just sits and it sulks. And over time, a reaction takes place that it becomes so salty that nothing can live in it. And you see, we were not designed to just consume. You were made by God to be a blessing to others, to pour out your life for others. Corey Ten Boone says, the measure of a life after all is not about its duration. It's not how long your life is, but it's about, it's its donation. 
How are you donating your life? I want to share with you a video from my uh, friend, a story from my friend Carl. Carl attends Abundant Life. And he has an incredible story about how somebody lived out generosity towards him and the blessing that it was in his life. I want you to see this story. Hi, my name's Carl. This is Leroy. That's Shiloh. Over there is Jules. And behind me is Tabby. And this is Hawk. How does a conversation about generosity connect to five horses? Let me tell you. Back in June, I went out to feed Hawk on a Monday morning, and he normally meets me at the gate. He wasn't there. I looked down the pasture, and I saw him laying down. My worst fears were realized within a minute. He had passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. My heart was literally ripped out. So again, how does this tie to generosity? Literally, within 24 hours, I had over 350 people reach out to me and, and, and reach out and just love on me. But the biggest thing was seven people individually reached out and offered to loan me their horses. Horses are something that people typically don't loan out. It's something that's very, very near and dear to them. It's something they invest hundreds of hours into. But again, I had seven people reach out. And it's very, very difficult for me to receive than it is to give. I've always been a giver. That's something that's always come natural to me is to be generous and give, but it's not come natural to receive. So in this time of grief, however, again, so many people reached out. Here's Leroy. No, Leroy's not mine. But the owner, Sheila, basically said, Carl, I'll meet you halfway. She lived in Roseburg, and she said, I want you to take him for as long as you need him. He's yours. Treat him like he was yours. Consider that he was yours. This has been very healing to me. Again, when we talk about generosity, we talk about giving. But I think it's all also just as important to be able to receive in a time of grief or in a time of need. Our being able to receive helps other people out by giving. Thank you so much for listening to me. Do good and be generous because living generously leads to a blessed life for you and for others. So where do we start this journey? Well, I believe that living generously begins where we started in the book of Acts, in Acts 2. It starts with the church, with your spiritual family. Because the church is a community of Jesus followers that are on the journey of following Jesus together and they share what they have for the ministry of the church to move forward and so that everybody in the church and in the community is taken care of. I shared with you about how uh, budgeting helps me learn contentment in my life. But one of the things that we do in our budget is we practice generosity. And the first thing that we write into our budget is what we give back to the church because we believe that God wants our best and our first and not our leftovers. And we made a commitment from day one of our marriage that we would always give at least 10% or what the Old Testament calls a tithe back to God out of his generous provision for us. And this has been true for our entire marriage. It's been true when I was a part-time youth pastor and a part-time bank teller. Uh, it's been true when, we, when I was an unpaid uh, intern. And it's been true when we've both been employed because we believe that God is calling him, us to trust him in this area of our lives and that generosity begins with our place of worship. And you know what? God has always provided for our needs and then some. And we've learned throughout the years a greater trust and dependence on God. 
Before I came on staff at Abundant Life, I served as a uh, intern for two years at a large church in Southern California. And an intern is a fancy word for you work full time for free. And uh, during that time, uh, Aaron ha- did not have a job yet. Uh, we were, I was working for free, so we lived off of the generous financial support of those who supported us. And we continued to give back to the church from there. And early in my internship, I was invited to go on a men's houseboat trip. And a lot of the guys that came on the trip came from out of state because they had some relationship. And at the end of the trip, we had all this extra food and and they said, divide it up amongst the guys uh, on the boat. And so all the guys on our boat said, well, give it to the intern. And I, I kid you not, we came home from that trip and I had like large oversized coolers, like multiple coolers stuffed with food. And the funny thing is we finished the last portion of that food in the last month of my internship before we moved back to Oregon. And it's just one of those ways that God blessed us in that time as we were continue to be faithful to him. I don't know what this looks like for you, but my encouragement is if this is a new practice for you that maybe you have a conversation with God And you just talk to God about how he wants you to live this out in your own life. And maybe you start somewhere, you know, with a percentage or just amount or whatever, but that you begin to to walk this road in your relationship with God. Because generosity begins with your spiritual family, but then it grows from there. And maybe you've been practicing this for, for a while. And so my challenge to you is that maybe you have a different kind of conversation with God. Maybe you begin to have a conversation with God every day that says, God, how do you want me to do good and be generous today? And that this becomes an ongoing conversation that you invite God to to lead you in this way. And I promise you that he will speak to you. He will show you ways that he wants you to do good and be generous to others. The question is, will you follow through with it? Church, I wanna share with you that we have an opportunity coming up in just a couple weeks that we can live this together. In just a couple weeks, beginning in November, we're gonna start Adopt-A-Family. And if you've been around for a couple years uh, now, you know what Adopt-A-Family is all about. But if you have not yet participated or you're new to Abundant Life, it's an incredible way for our church to live generously together in our community. What we do with Adopt-A-Family is we partner with local elementary schools to identify families that need a little extra help around the Christmas season. And then we invite our Abundant Life family to adopt one of these families for Christmas. And when you sign up to participate, you'll get a form that has the names of the family and the kids and their ages and sizes. You'll get their contact information so you can reach out to them. And then you'll be able to go and shop for Christmas gifts for them. You'll bring them home, you'll wrap them. And then this year, you're gonna bring the gifts on a couple uh, specific days back here to the church. And we'll make sure that the families get the gifts for Christmas. And I wanna encourage all of our church to participate this year because it's an opportunity for us as a spiritual, as a church family to live generously together in our community. Why would we choose to live this way? Why would we choose to live generously? Well, it's because of the fourth lesson that we learn in this passage, and that's this. Living generously allows me to experience Jesus differently. 
In verse 19, Paul concludes the section by saying, by doing this, by being generous, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And you see, living generously is a kingdom culture way to live. It's living with an eternal focus. And when we stop chasing after the the wealth or the things of this world, we can begin living for eternity. And then we find true life. Because true life is not found in the wealth of this world. True life is found in Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, that if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you see, living generously begins with God. It begins with receiving God's great generosity that was demonstrated through the gift of his son, Jesus. Generosity is God's gift to us because he is the giver of life. He is the giver of all good things. He is the giver of love and of grace and of mercy. And all that we have in this life is because of God's generosity to us. And his generosity is life-changing. And you see, God gave us the very best he had when he gave us his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died a criminal's death on the cross, and then rose again on the third day, so that you and I could have forgiveness of our past, a purpose for living today, and a hope for eternity. John 3, 16 says, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave, that he gave, that he gave, his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And you see, once we receive this generous gift of God in our lives, how could we not respond with incredible generosity back? And what you'll discover is that you cannot outgive God. Charles Spurgeon says, in all my years of service to the Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. Because living generously leads to a blessed life. And because we cannot outgive God, I dare you to try it. I dare you to try to outgive God and then watch how he pours back into you blessing after blessing as you learn to trust him in this area of your life. Would you pray with me? God, I wanna thank you that you demonstrate generosity to us. God, that you pour out your great generosity in our lives. God, that you demonstrated how far your generosity goes through the gift of your son, Jesus. And God, because of your generosity, may you help us to live that out in our own lives. God, that we would look for ways to do good and be generous to others. God, that we would live in such a way, God, that we would have the picture of the kingdom, of your kingdom in mind. 
And God, that we would look so incredibly different from this world that it would be attractive to people around us. Because God, we know that your generosity changes lives and it blesses our lives. And God, may we live that out in an incredible way in the community and the world around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.